Howdy, we're so glad that you're here today. I hope you've had a great week. And I never get tired of hearing stories of people who surrender their life to God and God steps in and he moves in such an incredible way. And uh, it's been such a blessing to see uh, Courtney grow so much closer to God and become an amazing mom. She helps with our children's ministry, uh, jar kids, and and we are so uh, blessed uh, to see what God's done in her life. Uh, Let me also just take this time to uh, be the first one, maybe, to wish you a Merry Christmas. So, Merry Christmas. Much better. There were like two people in the first celebration. They were sitting over here, Merry Christmas, you know. I don't know what that means. Maybe they're not very merry. I don't know. Um, But the thing about Christmas is that there are some goofy things that happen during Christmas. Uh, A couple of years ago, uh, there was a sign, uh, here it is, that was placed right outside of the Lincoln Tunnel in New Jersey. And the sign was really interesting. It was gigantic, a huge billboard, and this is what it said. You know it's a myth. This season, this season, celebrate reason. So that's it, folks. Merry Christmas. Good luck with that. You know, I mean, that's kind of it. So this billboard's out there, and uh, as you can imagine, this was sponsored by the American Atheist Association. It was founded in 1963, and at the bottom, there's a credit there that says, reasonable since 1963. Now, I have a feeling they were probably reasonable before 1963, you know what I mean? But uh, just find that very interesting. Like, maybe I was unreasonable. But then 1963 came, and like, reason came into my life. Now, the great thing about the United States is that anyone can put something up on a billboard, and we can do that kind of stuff. Now, what happened then, there was a group of Christians that naturally wasn't too excited about this, and so they figured out a way that they would put up a billboard too. And the Catholic League, on the other side of the tunnel, put this up. You know it's real this season. Celebrate Jesus. Or that phrase, you know, the reason for the season is Jesus. So each day, people are coming out of this tunnel, and they're looking up, and on one side they see it's a myth. On the other side, they recognize that it's saying it's true, it's a myth, It's true, it's a myth, it's true, it's a myth, it's true. Now, as offended as some of you might be by uh, the first one, I thought about it today, that isn't it kind of true what this says, though, that all of us at some point in our life have kind of wondered, is this story really true? I mean, really? Now, I know we never talk about this during this time of the season, because our houses are all decked out with nativity scenes, and, you know, garland, and Christmas trees, and, 
you know, we have the wise men, and we have the shepherds, and we have Mary and Joseph, and we have the baby Jesus, and we have the plastic baby Jesus, you know. In fact, Hollywood wants us to know that there is credible evidence for the baby Jesus. So look at the side screens and take a look at this movie clip. We thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. I also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. Dear tiny infant Jesus. We... Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. Now, I love that scene because they don't really believe. They believe in the eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn, infant, baby Jesus. So cuddly, wuddly, budly, you know what I mean? But they don't, like, really believe it. They just believe it so that they can win some races so that they get more money in their bank account. And yet Christmas, folks, is not a time where you say that. I mean, at Christmas gatherings, you know, you don't have people that walk in and go, hey, folks, before we open up the presents and we sing Silent Night, I just wanted to share with you that I've done some research and thinking about this, and I really don't believe what the Bible says. I think it's a myth. I mean, did it really happen? Folks, you don't hear people uh, during this season saying that kind of thing. Because even if you really don't believe it, you pretend that you believe the story. Because you want to be invited back to people's home, right? Next year. So you just kind of go in with all of that stuff. I mean, this isn't the time where you walk in and you go, Hey, Mom, uh, Mary... Well, I really don't believe it. Um, Mary myth. I think that's what we should call it. Because I just don't get it. I mean, you know, I don't believe. But at some point in your life, I guarantee that 
many of us, if not all of us, have wondered, is that story real? I mean, think about it for a second. Angels talking to shepherds? Really? And the wise men following a star? Think about that. Can you really follow a star? And then if you are really following a star, like, how wise are you? You know? And a virgin birth? Now, if you're a parent and you're a mom who went through, you know it didn't happen like that. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know about you, but I put some Barry White on and a Luther, little Luther Vandross. And all of a sudden, my wife had two kids, but she wasn't a virgin when she had those two kids. And there's no woman that I have ever known in my life who stood up and said, yep, virgin birth, that's what it happened. And yet there's so much momentum around Christmas, and Christmas is about the story of the baby, so what happens is we just never stop to think about it. I mean... Why does this story have to be in the Bible anyway? I mean, the story of Jesus doesn't really need the Christmas story, does it? I mean, do we have to, what do we learn from it? Some people have made the point that the story of Jesus' birth is important because it gives credibility to everything else that he taught. But my problem with that is, is that I think the resurrection like kind of trumps that, don't you think? I mean, if you can rise from the dead, I don't care who your dad is or what he's done. I want to know about that. I mean, I'd like to know what it means to rise from the dead. Like, that's a really big deal. So, do we really need this story because it's so difficult to believe and to get our arms wrapped around it? I mean, if you have to believe in the virgin birth, if you have to believe that angels spoke to shepherds and all of that stuff in order to embrace this story, I mean, that's kind of a game stopper, right? If you're a rational thinking person. And plus, if you've studied history, you'll know that it was not unusual for supposedly things to happen up in the heavens when famous people were born. When Julius Caesar was born, there are stories about stars lining up, that Jupiter and Mars lined up. And there are stories of famous historical people that were born with these kind of heavenly stories surrounding their birth. So for suddenly there to be a story of the birth of Jesus with a bright star and angel spoke, I mean, that kind of goes along with what happens to all these famous people. So even that's not all that unusual. I mean, most of you probably don't believe, do you, when Julius Caesar was born, that the stars lined up and Mars and Jupiter were together. And so if you don't believe that, then, you know, how can you believe it when Jesus was born? Now, one little caveat, one little caveat was um, a caution, I guess, is that when Julius Caesar was born, the story of his birth wasn't written 
at that time. In fact, it wasn't written even with contemporaries that were, was there. It was written almost 200 years later. So 200 years, there was no eyewitnesses, but then they said, hey, this is what happened when he was born. Mars and Jupiter lined up. But in Jesus' case, uh, for your information, the story of his birth, the miracles surrounding his birth, actually, uh, there were people who wrote about it who were contemporaries during the time that he was in that historical period. So with all these questions, you know, surrounding the birth of Jesus, I just thought that maybe this morning what we should do is like stop and think about a few things. Because some of you have been running around, you know, shopping for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And maybe you just need to stop and think about it. And the first thing I'd like you to stop and think about is this. That Christmas is very mystical and very difficult for us to believe. It's very mystical. Now, some of you, by me even putting that up there, some of you are like, oh, great. I was just hoping you were going to talk about angels and shepherds and God loves you and the baby Jesus. And now you're getting all deep with this bunch. Like, what's up with this? But I think this is true. Christmas is very mystical. It's very difficult. If you think about it rationally for us, to believe. In fact, it kind of feels magical. Some people might even say that it's mythical, like a, like a fairy tale story. So you have to stop and think about it. Now, for some of you, you have never been able to stop and think about this. Because your whole life, you've learned about this story, and people will tell you, no, no, you got to believe this. And so you've just believed it the whole time. Others of you, You can't stop thinking about this particular story, and you're so glad that a pastor actually is standing up and telling you, hey, you ever really think about this? Like, it's a little bit bizarre. And I want you to know today that it's okay if you have questions, if you have doubts, because after all, just through the lens of reason, This is a very difficult story to believe in. I mean, the real problem with the story is that it may keep you from ever reading the rest of the New Testament. Because you read this story and then you're like, I don't know. I mean, if I have to embrace this, can I really go forward in my thinking? That's why the verses that I'm going to share with you today... If you're kind of at that point, you don't tell people because it's Christmas, but you've thought about it, that the verses that I'm going to share today may be the most important verses in the New Testament for you. If you're a person who says, you know what, I'll go along with the Santa Claus myth and Jesus myth, I can go through all that. I'm an American, it's seasonal, I mean it's consumer shopping and and the family likes to believe all that, so it's okay. I mean, my mama believed it, and her mama believed it, and the mama after that believed it. And I go to Mass every once in a while. I go to church, you know, and, and you know, the nativity scene. I, I don't have to investigate it to try to figure out if it's historical. I can just kind of embrace the feelings of, like, the goodwill that happens during this season. If that's your situation, very possibly the verses that I'm going to share with you today 
might be the most important verses in the New Testament. And my hunch is that most of you, even those of you who claim to be Christians, never read this. You just kind of skim over it to get to the Christmas story. In fact, the verses that we're going to look today may be the exact verses that God's going to use to strip away the myth that you've always believed about Jesus and specifically the New Testament. The traditional Christmas story that we find, it's actually in the book of Luke. It's really not a book. It's an ancient document. But this little document that we call Luke is an ancient document from the first century. And what happened was is that he wrote this and then they made copies of it. And they would pass it on to their friends. And there were copies and copies of Luke that were given to uh, tons of people. And eventually what happened was this ancient document got connected with all these other ancient documents and they put it together and they call it the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. And in this ancient document that we call Luke, I, I found that kind of interesting. Think about that. It was just Luke. Like there's no creative title. Like today, no one says John Grisham. His book is called John Grisham because they come up with creative titles. And this is kind of boring, isn't it? It's Luke by Luke. Matthew by Matthew. John by John. Okay. Well, Luke wrote this, and what's interesting is that Luke wasn't even a Jew. In other words, this whole concept of a Messiah coming, he wasn't even like thinking about that. Luke was a doctor. And Luke wasn't really looking for a Messiah. He didn't need a Messiah. And he certainly wasn't looking for a virgin-born Messiah. In fact, you should know this, that in the first century, Jews that were waiting on the Messiah, they didn't really care whether it came from a virgin birth or not. That wasn't in the job description. I mean, there were a lot of wannabe fake messiahs. Jesus wasn't the only one who ever claimed to be messiah. There were others, too, that stood up and they claimed it. But if you ever said, I'm not really sure that my father is my father, whoa, you can't be the messiah then. Because you have to come from this guy by the name of David, who was the greatest king of the Old Testament. You've got to come from his lineage. So the whole virgin birth thing, nobody was expecting. It wasn't a part of the job requirement. It wasn't a part of the resume. And Luke certainly wasn't looking for this. And yet Luke embraced the teachings of Jesus. Now Luke did have a friend, a guy by the name of Theophilus. And Theophilus was also a Christian. And Theophilus was kind of the Christian that maybe some of you are. You like kind of believe the story in general terms, the big arching story, but some of the specifics of it, you're just not quite sure. He lived in the first century, and he lived during the time that people who knew Jesus and were still running around, the eyewitnesses of the crucifixion and resurrection, he connected with them. And so Theophilus, his friend, had all of these questions. He would pull Luke aside and be like, hey, this story about this Jesus guy, I'm just, I'm not sure. Did it really happen? 
He's like, I, then I read this other story, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. And Luke, I'm, I'm really confused about, because there's no order to this. It's just like all these stories put together. I can't put them in order myself. And so Luke decided to sit down and to write what he calls an orderly account of Jesus. And it doesn't read like a myth, does it? It doesn't read like, once upon a time, in a far-off land, there was a fairy. No, it doesn't read like that. That's why I think these verses, for some of you who are here today, may be the most important verses that you've ever read before in the New Testament because it will help you to understand what Luke is trying to say. If you tend to be like many people, I mean, why would many of us believe this story? I mean, it's a feel-good story, you know, and we relive it. We relive it each year, and we rehearse it, but it's just for a season. But Luke starts this story to his good friend named Theophilus, and this is what he says. Many. In other words, not a few, not some, but he says many have undertaken to draw an account. An account. Not a story. Not like a story. I'm not writing a story. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled, what happened among us. And the things that he's talking about are the things that happened surrounding the life of Jesus. Now, this is what's really fascinating. Luke is writing this in the first century. Jesus isn't famous, folks. He's not famous at all. In fact, the church is not famous. It is not spread very far. And Luke says, Theophilus, a lot of people are trying to get this story straight. A lot of people are trying to write an orderly account of it, to take all of these random stories of this guy Jesus that we've heard and to put them in some sense of, chronological order so that we can know with certainty what happened. And I'm just one of those who's trying to do this. There's others. There's a guy by the name of Matthew, another guy named Mark, another guy named John. They're writing stuff too. And actually, not just those guys, but there's like Joe and Fred and Elizabeth and Missy. They're they're writing things too. But after 2,000 years, what we get to is Four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books, the first four books of the New Testament. He goes on, this is what he says. Just as they were handed down to us, that is, these stories of Jesus, by those from the first were, and what's the next word? What is it? They were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke says, Theophilus, this is the deal. The stories that I'm going to hand down to you, the account that I'm going to give to you, they're not third-hand stories. It's not Aunt Lucy told Uncle Fred, and Uncle Fred told, you know, Joe, you know, the guy down the street, and then I got it. No, no, no. He says this is first-hand accounts, eyewitnesses, not 200 years after it happened, but during the time of Jesus' life. He said, I'm going to talk to eyewitnesses and to get the best evidence that I have of what actually happened. 
Eyewitnesses who were there. Now you need to know this too. That Luke actually knew some of these eyewitnesses. There was one guy by the name of Peter. He was Jesus' closest friend. And he helped start the church. He hung out with Peter. There was a guy by the name of Paul. He wrote over half of the New Testament. And Luke actually traveled with him as he started some of these different churches. He knew James, the brother of Jesus. And he surely met Mary, Jesus' mom. So he goes on. He says this, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully, what's the next word? Carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That he carefully investigated. He's writing about himself here, but he's investigated all of it. In other words, the story that I'm getting to retell, the account I'm going to give to you about the life of Jesus, is the result of an investigation. I have sat down and I have interviewed eyewitnesses to the account, people who were actually there. I've carefully done this from the very beginning. Then he goes on to say this. I too decided, along with all these other people, Matthew, Mark, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now this is how we know it's a letter. Because he's writing to someone. Not just anyone, but he's writing to someone, his friend, Theophilus. It goes on. So that you may know, now this is awesome, this is really cool. So that you may know the, what's the next word? What? Certainty of the things that you have been taught. In other words, Theophilus had been taught all these stories about Jesus and all these things that Jesus said and did, but again, they were just random stories that he would hear. Maybe like your knowledge of the Bible. It's just kind of random. You know a few things, but you don't know all of the stories. But Luke, with a first-hand account, with eyewitnesses, with people who were actually at the events, decided to sit down and to write an orderly account of Jesus that he investigated. So he could give Theophilus something that would give him certainty about the things that he believed. Now, folks, this is why this is so important. If you're not a Christian, or if you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing, this whole God thing, or maybe you were connected to Christ in a church at one time and you pulled back, if that's you, here's something you really need to stop and think about this Christmas. That Christianity is not about belief in belief. It's not about faith in faith. The foundation of Christianity is something that actually happened in history. It happened in history. The foundation of the events actually took place. And that the faith is not founded simply on the teachings of someone. There's a lot of faiths out there, isn't there? Teachings that someone gave. 
But our faith as Christians is founded in the events in history, beginning with the birth of a baby, the Lord Jesus. And Luke said to his friends, I understand that you need more information. You're not, you just don't quite believe it. You need some more information. And so I have thoroughly investigated this. I've done my due diligence. I've investigated. I've talked to eyewitnesses. And what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to tell you is an orderly account. It's not just a story, folks, but something that actually has happened to us. And many people are trying to get this straight, Theophilus, because what you're going to read, it is extraordinary. And we dare not let any of the details slip away. See, that's why this story doesn't actually start. Once upon a time, there was a baby. It doesn't do that. It doesn't start off long, long ago in a land far away, in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't start off like that. It doesn't start off, once upon a time, there was a king in a far-off land. Because you go, a king? What king? Oh, I don't know. Because it's a fairy tale. Folks, the story of Jesus doesn't begin that way. But rather, it begins with a non-Jewish person who had embraced the teachings of Jesus and during his time, he talked to eyewitnesses who were there during the crucifixion and the resurrection of his life who were walking around. And so Luke sat down and he wrote this down to a friend who was struggling to put it all together named Theophilus and he wrote it in an orderly account. And Luke said, you know what? Hey, I'm going to go all the way back to the very beginning. And what he gives us is not just the story of Jesus. Rather, he gives us an account of the birth and the life of Jesus. It's not the story of Jesus. Rather, he gives us an account of his birth, who was Messiah and Savior and Lord. And when Luke gets to the end of his writing of this ancient document, There's 24 chapters. So he starts in chapter 1 saying, I'm going to do an orderly account. And when he gets to the end, chapter 24, and I hope some of you will read it, he gets to the end and he actually says, you know what? He was God's one and only son. In fact, he says, not was, he is God's one and only son. And this is how the story began. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. 